Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge Church family. I hope you're doing well today. I wanted to bring just a word of encouragement as we get started. I know this has been different, having all this online church experience, but God's been doing some amazing things. I've been thinking about the passage of Scripture in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph talks about how, how things can be intended for harm by the enemy, by people, but then God can redeem them and use them for good. And with online church, we've been having people join us that don't normally go to church. If you're one of them, welcome. We're so glad you're joining us today. Some people from around the nation, around the world. We've even had people come to Christ. I know some of you are even joining right now in a living room as you're gathered together with folks who don't normally come to church, but they'd come to your house and hang out with you. And so if you're one of those guests, welcome. I'm so glad that you're with us. And then there's people that are at work watching, that are first responders or different folks have to work on a Sunday, and you take a little block out and you watch this service, we're glad you're able to join us. But we also realize, and we've talked about, there's a lot of difficult things that are happening during this time. Racial injustice, there's people who live in isolation that already had difficulty with mental illness, job loss, the political divide in our country. And so I want to ask you this question as we get started today. If you could change one thing, about yourself, about the world, what would you change? If you could change one thing, would you end racial injustice? Would you deal with all the mental health issues in our culture, in our country? Would you, some of you have a heart and a burden for the gospel, and you see how quickly when the the world shut down, everything changed, and think about how, how quickly Jesus could come back at any moment. And there's people that don't know him. There's people that are headed for a Christless eternity. Maybe you get the gospel to them. If you could change one thing, maybe about yourself, your job, some relationship you have, something with your finances, or maybe it's bigger than that, what would you change? And let me twist the question a little bit. What if we went to the one who actually has control to change anything at any moment, God? And we asked him, God, what do you want to change? About me, about the world, like about you? What do you think he would say? If we just asked him, God, what would you, if you could change one thing right now, what would you change, God? I think he's told us the answer in our passage of scripture today. It's in Romans chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to join me in the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament right after the book of Acts. In Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at just two verses, verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. And if you go to the book of Romans, what you see is it's an incredible book. All throughout, there's, there's tons of great truth there. In fact, some people have said about the book of Romans that you could take away all the rest of the New Testament and you still have every major doctrine in the book of Romans. I've got one friend who's written a curriculum about the book of Romans, and he talks about how it's changed the world already and changed history because it's changed individual people's lives. Like St. Augustine, through one verse, totally changed his life, rerouted his whole life. Or Martin Luther, the great reformer, who for the first time, before he nailed the 95 Thesis on the wall and reformed the church and became you know, Protestants, protesters, he saw in the book of Romans... But it wasn't about his works. It was about the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for him. That salvation came as a free gift. But he had to trust trust God by faith. And so I think these two verses here today that we're going to read have the potential to change our lives and that could change the world. Look at them with me. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, those are incredibly familiar verses to many people that go to church regularly, but they're foreign. It's almost like a foreign language. Now, what do I mean by that? What I'm saying is this, that we live in a consumer culture, and we're reading verses about sacrifice. That's foreign to many of our ears. And here's the, here's the problem with consumerism. Consumerism is great for the economy. It's great for the country. It's great for GDP, right? It's great for all that stuff. But it's awful for the individual. And if you want evidence of that, just look at what it produces. It produces overindulgence. It produces oftentimes obesity. It produces sexual morality. It produces people that are oftentimes very entitled. That I came to get what I want. And if I don't get what I want, then, I, then you're blocking it. And I'm angry at you. And, and oftentimes that's where a lot of the conflict we see is we live... In this consumer culture, but here's the problem, it's seeped into the church. We've got a consumer Christianity. Let me read you what one historian says about it. Author, historian Thomas Reeves says this. It does not, talking about the American church and talking about uh, Christianity today, it does not require self-sacrifice, discipline, humility, an otherworldly outlook, a zeal for souls, a fear as well as a love for God, there's little guilt, no punishment, and the payoff in heaven is virtually certain. What we now have might be best labeled consumer Christianity. The cost is low, and customer satisfaction seems guaranteed. Another author and speaker, Dallas Willard, said it like this. Consumer Christianity is now normative. The consumer Christian is one who utilizes the grace of God for, the forgiveness, for forgiveness and the services of the church for special occasions but does not give his or her life and innermost thoughts, feelings, and intentions over to the kingdom of the heavens. Such Christians are not inwardly transformed and not committed to it. Here's the reality. We want the blessings of Christianity without the calling of Christ. We, we, we want the blessings of Jesus Christ without a commitment to Jesus Christ. We want all of the benefits without any of the sacrifice. That's consumer Christianity. And then here we come to this passage of Scripture that's about God's will, that's talking about His good, pleasing, perfect will, His desire for us, what He wants. And what He's just told us is, is that He wants us to be living sacrifices. He wants us to lay our lives down. In fact, in this passage, what we see is not only what God wants, how He wants to bring it about is also said. And also why He wants that. And that's our outline today. What does God want? How does He want to bring it about? And why does He want it? And the first thing that we see about what he wants, what he wants from us is full commitment. What he's wanting from you and what he's wanting from me is a full commitment to him. And just think about that. Like some of us were like, well, no, I committed my life to Jesus. I prayed this prayer. And, but are you is, he, is he really your passion? Like I've been thinking about during this time period, like all the things that we see people. And one of the dangers right now, like this is be candid. One of the dangers right now of this physical separation from one another is there are a lot of people that I'm friends with and you're probably experiencing the same thing, that I would normally see, not, not like the people that I see on a regular basis, not like my small group and different people I see all the time, but that I would see at church or I would bump into it at, at different occasions where now the only time I'm getting exposure to them is on social media. And I'm getting little sound bites of their life. And then people, they're talking passionately about things, whether it's racial inequality or whether it's a political division or whether it's a, uh, something going on with this virus and, and about how things need to reopen or not reopen. And we're getting all these things and people are speaking passionately about this stuff. And it's got me thinking about even things that I've said. Am I as passionate about Jesus as I am about things like sports? Like, I'm, I'll just a confession to you, I remember one time I preached a sermon 
And afterwards, this woman came up to me, and she, it was well-intentioned. She said, you got so passionate when you were talking about that football illustration. And I thought, well, I was preaching a sermon on the gospel. But I'm more passionate about the football illustration? That's a problem. And I wonder, are we more passionate about this virus or about our political views or about sports? Like, are we more passionate about that stuff than we are even about Jesus? And isn't, wouldn't it be true that we'd get passionate about what we are passionate about? And we're going to say we're fully committed to Jesus, but then we're way more passionate about sports? Really? Because when you look at Jesus, a lot of times we think, well, I'm not a consumer. I, I, you check the giving records. Like, I contribute. I give something. Last I checked, Jesus was never asking for a tip. Like, not the Jesus of the Bible. He wants all of our lives. Like, when the rich young ruler comes to him and, and talks about committing his life to him, he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Be perfect. No one's perfect. The guy thinks he is, and Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Go sell all you have. And what does he say to us? Like, a lot of times we think Jesus is like a televangelist. Give a gift of any amount, and you're a partner in the ministry. Jesus says, if anyone, if that's anybody throughout human history, anyone wants to come follow me, you've got to be willing to die for me. That's a full, I want a full commitment. When he calls his followers, I don't need, you walk away from your business. You come, I'm going to change your life. I'm going to change your identity. I'm going to change your mission. I'm going to change everything about you. And you know what he wants from us? He wants full commitment. And so we come to this passage and it says that we're supposed to be living sacrifices. Like a sacrifice. A lot of times when we think about sacrifice, what we think about is giving up something in order to get something we want more. I'm going to give up chocolate cake because I want to get into those pants. Like I'm going to give up this purchase of this thing right now. This is a quick purchase because i got a bigger purchase I'm planning towards. And, I, and that's how we think about sacrifice. And so a lot of times it's how we treat God. That's how pagan gods work. Like I'm going to manipulate you. God, I'll do this if you'll do this for me. I'll, if you do this for me, God, I'll do this. I'll... That's not how the God of the Bible works. That's not what this passage is saying. These verses can be so familiar, we can miss what they're actually saying. Did you see what he said? He said, therefore, therefore it's important. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and then the next part, by the mercies of God. Well, what does the therefore connect to? Well, you can go back just one verse. If you've got your Bible, you can do that. And this is, you know, God should be praised. Why should God be praised? Well, that connects back to what's happened in chapter 11. So chapter 12 connects to chapter 11 in this book. But chapter 11 connects to chapters 9 and 10. And chapters 9 and 10 connect to chapters 1 through 8. The whole book is connected to that therefore. And when he says that therefore, he's really transitioning in the book of Romans from all the stuff he's talked about. You know what he's talked about? The mercies of God. And we don't have time to go through the whole book of Romans, but what you find when you look at the book of Romans is the first eight chapters all about the mercies of God for us. In fact, the first three chapters are incredible because they talk about the righteousness of God and who God is, but they're really dark when you think about it from our perspective. Because it says that none of us are righteous. Well, that's a problem. So what do you do about the problem? Well, God solved the problem by sending His Son, who was righteous, who is righteous, who then gave His life for us. So in Romans chapter 5, we see just a sin into the world through one man, Adam. So righteousness comes through Jesus, the second Adam. That's God's mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. You know what we deserve? The wrath of God. Punishment from God. But you know who took that? It was Jesus. And you know how we receive the righteousness of Jesus? Through faith, Romans chapter 4. And then we're supposed to live this out. We're buried with Christ in baptism, Romans chapter 6. We're raised to walk in a new way of life. But how do we walk in this new way of life? Because we're still sinful. We're here, and God sees us as righteous, but we don't live righteous. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. I don't do what I want to do, but you actually want to do what God wants now. 
That's part of being a new creation. The old is gone, new has come. So how do we do it? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is our peace. We've got peace with God now. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Read Romans chapter 8 if you want to know about the Spirit of God in your life. And nothing can separate you from His love. That's Romans chapter 8. But then what about 9 through 11? Well, chapters 9 through 11 are incredible because they show how God can work even when people reject Him. That's mercy. And here's the thing about God's mercy. You've already received the mercy before you give any kind of sacrifice. And see, that's how God's different. It says here, in view of these mercies, in light of the mercies you've already received, now you're not sacrificing to get something from God, in view of what you've already been given, God's mercies, now offer your life as a living sacrifice. And that's the only thing that makes sense. That's my paraphrase of what it says here. It says, which is your spiritual worship? The last part of verse 1. The word for spiritual there, it's interesting the ESV translated spiritual. It's where we get our word, our English word reason, our logic. It's the only thing that makes sense. This is your logical worship. And here's the reality. We're all worshipers. Whether you've proclaimed Jesus as your Savior, whether you're part of any kind of religion, we're all worshiping all the time. Because it's what we were created for. We're made for worship. And you think back when there were concerts. Why is it when you go to a concert... You don't just listen. You paid money to hear a band or a singer or somebody do a song, but you sing the lyrics because you were made to worship. Why when you go to a sporting event? I don't care if it's your kid's five-year-old soccer game, lacrosse, basketball, your favorite football team, the Panthers, whatever. When they do something, you throw your arms up in the air because you were made to worship. Why is it when you see a, a beautiful view, mountains, ocean, sunset, you, take a, you capture that, you capture that. Sunset heart hands, right? I'm mocking that, by the way. Uh, it's, we want to say it's because we're worship. We're made to worship. Here's the problem. Romans tells us the problem. We're glory thieves. The glory was meant to go to God, but Romans tells us that we're, we worship the creation rather than the creator, and ultimately we put ourselves at the center, and we rob God of his glory, and we're not even that good at it. Have you ever seen stories about criminals, and they, they, just, they blunder stuff so bad that you think, like, I'm not endorsing being a criminal, but don't you think, you're just not even good at this. Like, dumb criminals... I was reading some stories the other day. I saw one guy who was wanted in Ohio for arson and robbery. And they put a wanted picture up for him, and he didn't like the picture. So he texted the police and said, hey, man, here's a better picture. They texted him back and said, thank you so much for your help in this process. We'd love to talk with you. Eventually, the guy was arrested, just FYI. There's another guy that I saw. He was breaking into a car that was actually set up. There were a bunch of car breakings that happened. And he was breaking into a car to steal the GPS out of the car, which I thought, like, I don't know anything about stealing GPS. But what I know, I think, wouldn't they know where you were at as soon as you turned it on? And uh, he didn't see there was a camera in the car, didn't wear a mask or anything like that. But here's the part that gets really bad. He had a tattoo on his neck with his name and his birthday on it. So think if you're the detective. You're like, I can see you, uh, and your name's on your neck, but in case there were two guys with the same name that look similar, your birthday's on there. Like, you look at that and you think, you're just not even good at this. You're bad at it. And it's laughable until we realize we're the thieves. We're the, we have an all-knowing, all-seeing Father who created us for His glory, that we're supposed to be worshiping Him, and then we're gonna, we think that it's gonna be, we're going to be good. And whether we try to get the glory through our social media or our bank account or our dad's praise or wherever it is we're seeking it, we think, we think that's going to work. That's not what you were even made for. You were made to worship Him. 
and he's telling us how to do it. Like, I've already given you everything. I've given you all this mercy. I've given you no condemnation. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. I've given you all of these things. And so in view of that, I want you fully committed to me as a living sacrifice. And what's a living sacrifice? We can't say everything about it today, but just a couple things about a living sacrifice. One is this. A living sacrifice, it's a conscious sacrifice. Like you're aware of the sacrifice you're making. It's a willing sacrifice. It's different than the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. Like you think about an animal that's coming to, to be slaughtered as a sacrifice for someone. There's, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so people in the Old Testament, they take a bull or a lamb or a goat. And I don't know what you think happens in that moment, but think of like there has never been a bull or a goat or a lamb that said, I got this one. I'll, I'll sacrifice this time for your sin. First of all, it's not Pixar. Like they don't talk, but they're not aware. They're not willing to do this. But as people, you're going to be a living sacrifice. It's a willingly laying your life down for, because God laid his life down for you, like for the sake of the gospel. It's a, God, I, want, I believe, I trust you. I trust that you want what's best for me, so I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you all my mind, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of who I am. And we see two examples of it in the Bible. One is a guy named Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. It's a foreshadowing of the gospel and what Jesus did for us in the New Testament, but his dad, Abraham, and there's a lot of details to the story, but just a summary is his dad is over 100 years old. It's believed that he's about 16, 18 years old. They're walking up a mountain, and Isaac is going to be sacrificed. Now, God provides a substitute, which is a picture of the gospel with the ram that, that comes into that story, but, but they get to the top of the mountain, and the next thing you read in the Bible is that, that Isaac is on the altar. He's tied up on the altar there. How did that happen? Because I don't care how, how great a shape Abraham was at 116, 118 years old, I'm pretty confident Isaac could have outrun him. I'm pretty confident that he could have overpowered him. But he willingly laid his life down. And then God provided a substitute, which is a picture of us of the other living sacrifice we see in the New Testament, which is Jesus, who's God's son, who willingly comes and gives his life no one takes it, John chapter 10. He lays it down. That's the picture of a living sacrifice. And God provided in the Old Testament, and then God raised Jesus from the dead in the New Testament. The living, that's our picture if there's a willingness to it. Are you willing to lay it all on the table for God? It's all your, my whole life is yours. My kids are yours. My money's yours. My time is my future. Like a lot of us, when we ask God, what, what's your will? Like, do you really want to know God's will? Or are you just wondering to know if yours lines up with his? Like, you're just willing to lay it out like a blank check saying, God, you fill in the blank, a contract. I'm signing it, God. Here's my life. You got it. That's willing. But not only that, it's complete. It's not only a conscious sacrifice, it's a complete sacrifice. This is one of the things with the offering of Isaac in, in Genesis chapter 22. Go and read it. And if you start reading some of the details, which I know I skipped over a bunch of the details, but it's a burnt offering. You know the thing about a burnt offering in the Old Testament? Is that it was wholly consumed on the altar. And so some offerings was just the fat, or some offerings just, you know, part, whatever. But it was wholly consumed, and that's the thing with, with a living sacrifice. It's all of you. It's a total sacrifice, and that's what God wants. That's what we see Jesus asking for. That's why many of the crowds, they'd come to him, they wanted to be fed, but then he'd give a tough teaching, and they'd leave, and he'd turn to, to, to Peter in John chapter 6, and says, what about you guys, the disciples? You're going to leave? And Peter says back, where are we going to go? Your only option. You have the words of eternal life. Of course, I'm going to give my whole life to you because... What's the other option? And the reality is there isn't one. 
He's the only one that gives us life. He's the only one that gives the abundant life. He's the only one that can give us new life. He's the only one that has done all the stuff that's been talked about in the book of Romans. And so what he calls for from us is complete sacrifice. I could illustrate that by telling you about martyrs. I could tell you about Peter dying on a cross upside down. And I could tell you about Thomas and being speared to death in India. But I think sometimes when we hear that, we, we miss the point that, that most of us aren't going to get the opportunity to, to lay our lives down like that. But we all, on a daily basis, get an opportunity to lay our lives down. And so I think about, you know, the software engineer in the triangle that's going into the office on a regular basis and every day doesn't get to proclaim the gospel. But every day is laying his life down, going, God, whatever you, whatever you want, whatever opportunities you put before me, whatever, let me, help me be intentional about seeing things and doing things. God, my life is your life. And trying to lead his family and trying to disciple his kids and laying his life down as a sacrifice. Think about the mom who maybe is thrust into homeschooling, right? And there's these moments where you just want to lose it and you, in your flesh you want to be one way, but you lay your life down before God and you say, these kids are my mission field right now. This is my opportunity. Or teachers in the school, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus, right? But you're supposed to be as innocent as doves, or as shrewd as a viper, and you're, you're, you're looking at ways where they can ask you about your faith. That's a living sacrifice. It's complete. Not only is it complete, <coughs> not only is it conscious, but it's continual. It's a continual sacrifice. Many preachers have said before, the problem with the living sacrifice is it crawls off the altar. But the reality is we've got to regularly lay our lives down before him and say, you, my life is yours. In light of the mercies that you've given me, my life is yours. But how? How do we get to that place? Well, he tells us in the passage. Go back to the passage. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The negative command, do not be conformed to this world, Positive command, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here we have the how. The how is a renewed mind. What he wants is a living sacrifice, a full commitment to him. The how is by the renewal of our mind. So how does our mind get renewed? Well, you see here two commands. The negative command to not be conformed. Conformity is like we're being pressed into a, into a mold, into a shape. And so there's even a translation of the Bible, the Phillips translation, that says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's conformity, when you become just like the world around you. Transformation is where we get our English word metamorphosis. When we think about a, a caterpillar to a butterfly or a tadpole to a frog. <laughs> I don't know what all has changed in your home and your home life during this time period where so many things have been shut down. But I know at, at our house, one of the things that have happened, more frequent dinners together. We're not out doing all the sports and some of those things, but our kids have been playing outside a ton more. And behind our house, we've got this creek that they'll go to. And I've got one daughter. She loves creatures. And uh, she's found different things out there before. Like even before all this pandemic happened, I remember one time she went down there, she found a turtle. She wasn't sure if it was a boy or a girl. She named it Olivia Steve. And she kept it in a little plastic bin. She dumped all this clothes out of this bin and put it next to our house. And she went to me and said, Dad, do you think we can talk Mom into keeping this creature? Now, my wife loves animals and different creatures, too. But she believes they should be in their natural habitat and not in our house. My daughter, on the other hand, thinks they're great. And she's kind of, you know, just squeeze them and love them like they're her very own. Like she just wants to have them there. And, and so my wife found the turtle. and She said it was scratching to get out of the thing. She set it free. And <laughs> it had a real slow getaway as a turtle there. But now what she's doing, she's going down to this creek. She's been grabbing these, and I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say by the thousands, 
tadpoles, but we'll just say for the sake of story, some of you think I exaggerate this stuff, hundreds of tadpoles all around our house, all outside of the doors, so tries to bring them in, my wife sends them back out, and there are these little black, like the tail just kind of, it looks like a fish swimming around. She's had some she's kept for a couple days. She's like, Dad, it's got eyes! You know, legs are starting to come out! And you start to watch this transformation that takes place of this tadpole. Now my wife, she feels bad for these things, so she grabs them, she takes them back down to the creek, she's dumping hundreds of them out the other day, she said they were just looking up at me with their big eyes, Scott, like as I was down there. And you start to see these parts on them. And do you know their arms form inside their body before they ever pop out and then they come out? And here's, here's what's happening in this metamorphosis, this transformation that's taking place for these tadpoles. It's already true on the inside. But as they're being transformed, it's, you're seeing it on the outside. Here's what's happened to you, believer, that you, the old is gone, new has come. That's already true in you. But how is that seen in you? It's the renewal of your mind that then transforms the way you live your life. So how, how, how does this happen? Well, you've got to have the Word of God saturating your mind. It's the renewal of your mind. See, the reality is many of us believe lies. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the mind of unbelievers. You say, well, what about believers? Well, there's still a lot of things that we've seen salvation, but there's still a lot of stuff that we believe that's not true. And just practically in our lives, on a daily basis, there's lies that, that we believe that the enemy actually wants to use to destroy us. See, Satan, he's a liar. He's got a plan for us. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, he wants to steal from you, wants to kill you, wants to destroy you. Now, Jesus came. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants to give us abundant life. And so what's the antidote to lies? It's truth. And it's the truth of God's word. And so just from like a pastoral perspective, sometimes I'll get people who come to me and they'll say things that are, that are like this. This is the type of stuff that Satan will feed into people's minds. I'm not good enough. It's like, well, you read Romans chapters 1 through 3 and you're not good enough for salvation. That's true. But if you mean you're not good enough to do what God's called you to do, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. And the first part's already been settled because you weren't good enough to get into heaven, but Jesus was, and he's given you his righteousness. And so what do you need to be good enough for? For the plan that God has for your life? Well, the Bible says he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. You've got the Holy... If you read Romans chapter 8, like start saturating your mind with the truth. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside your life, and you think you can't do, you're not able to do what God's called you to do. I heard one pastor one time say it like this, you've been given everything you need to be everything you're supposed to be. And I'd add to that, and to do everything God's called you to do. You have everything you need to be who God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do. And that's truth that counters the lies. Or some people will say things like, God couldn't use me. God, so that's a commentary, by the way, not on you. That's a commentary on God. You, you believe God's pretty small if he can't use you. Like he used Moses in the Old Testament, a mumbling murderer, Moses. He used from the Old Testament. He's a murderer. He can't use you. He can't speak. He uses him as a voice piece for the nation. David, an adulterer. Paul. Think about Paul as he writes these words. God wants to transform you by the renewing of your mind. Do you think he thought to himself at all about God's renewal in his own life? Here's a guy that at one time thought being a Christian was as anti-God as you could be. And now he's talking about what it is to live the Christian life. And God's plan, his desire for what he wants for you, the thing that he wants to change in you, is changing your mind from the deception you believe to truth. So what we need to do is saturate our minds with the truth of God's word. Our small group right now is going through Psalm 119. I'm going to look at Psalm 119. It talks all about God's word. 
How does a young man keep his way pure? Read Psalm 119. How do you know what God wants you to do? Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I direct you through my word. Like, look at how important God's word is. And think about in your own life, like, what level of importance does it have for you? And God wants to, he wants to use you ultimately to change the world we see as followers of Jesus. And so he does want to change this world. And he does want to do it through the gospel and the injustices that are taking place and the sin that's happening and the pain that people are experiencing. So he, he wants to change all of those things. And you know how he wants to do it is through you and me. But the way he does is he transforms us. He transforms our heart so that we actually would love our neighbor like we love ourselves. Rather than just loving ourselves a whole bunch and then quoting that verse and saying, I believe it, he actually wants to transform our heart so that we would live it. How does that happen? We've got to experience such transformation in our lives that it then would overflow into the world around us. I think, well, that's, that's really our vision as a church. And we want, we want people to experience such spiritual transformation that it leads to gospel saturation in every area of our lives, which would impact our whole world. God wants to change the world. He wants to change the world through you. Let's see what he says next. He said, he said what? He wants you to be fully committed to him. He said how? He's going to renew your mind. He's going to transform you by, by putting his word in your mind, countering the lies with his truth, transforming you into the image that he wants you to be, which looks like his son Jesus. But why? Look at the last part of this passage. He says the why right here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what God wants, what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, a lot of times people talk about God's will. We want to know who to marry and where to go to college and what job to have and whether I should, what should I do in this decision. And can I ask you this question? If God laid out for you every detail of every day of your life for the rest of your life, would you do it? Or do you want to know what he has to say about those things so you can discuss it, maybe negotiate it? What if he laid out every detail? Then would you do it? That's not how he works. But he's already told us clearly what he does want, what he wants from you today. He wants you to be a living sacrifice. He wants you to be fully committed to him. Are you? He wants you to be conscious of that and complete in that. He wants you to be continually committing your life to him. And he wants to change you by the renewing of your mind to use you to change the world. That's what he wants. So we asked, you know, if you could change one thing, what would you change? I don't know what your answer is. Well, we know what God says that he wants to change. He wants to change us. And then changing us, changing our hearts to be more like his heart, changing our compassion to be his compassion, changing our eyes to see the things in this society, in this culture, in this world that he's placed us in so that we'll reach this place for his glory, changing us so that we be so spiritually transformed, that our minds be so saturated with his truth that it would lead to transformation in the world around us. That's what he wants. So how? So what do we do? I want to challenge you, church, as we're moving forward here into these summer months. What would it look like for you to be in God's Word every day? What would it look like for you to really saturate your mind with the truth of God's Word? And every day, and I don't know how much you read the Bible now, but it would be more. It would be just every day, maybe some time amount, whatever it is. And we're going to have a reading plan for you and, and different resources for you on our website. But would you consider taking a challenge with me of reading the Scriptures starting today, June 14th? to the end of the summer, September 7th. Would you consider reading the Word every day between now and then and seeing how God wants to transform our thinking, transform our living, and maybe transform the world around you? Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you grateful that as we talk about being a sacrifice, you've already sent the ultimate sacrifice in your son, Jesus Christ, who would take the wrath that we deserve, and by your mercy, you wouldn't give us what we deserve, which is your wrath, but you'd give us eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. And Father, as we as followers of yours come before you today and, and wonder what you want, what do you want in this world, and what do you want from us, God, that that we'd be willing to continually lay our lives down, completely, all of it, before you, a blank slate, whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and that we'd walk by faith according to what you speak to us in your word. You tell us your will. You tell us your desires. You tell us the things you want. And I pray, God, that we would be submitted to that and guided by your truth. I think in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays for unity, he says, these people, they're my disciples, my followers, they're going to be in the world and not of the world. Sanctify them. Let's set them apart by your word, by your truth. Your word is truth. God, set us apart in this world to live out another kingdom by following what you say in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, church family, thank you so much for joining us today. I mentioned already our June 16th family celebration that's coming up. I hope you'll join us. You can RSVP for that on our website. There's multiple ways that you can be a part of that, and you'll see all of those when you go to the website. So for those of you who aren't going to be able to get out of your home, um, there's ways for you to join online. For those of you who don't want to get out of your car, that's a possibility. And for those of you who want to come here on the campus and be out of your car, we're going to be outside, but we're going to have a great time together on June 16th. I hope you'll RSVP for that. As well, we've got a couple other things that are happening as a church. On June 28th, we've got a blood drive that's going to happen here on the campus. And so you might want to go to our website, check out details for that as a way for you to have an impact in some people's lives. And, and I mentioned to you last week some resources, and we have a resource page on our website. And you'll see some of those things for greater awareness of racial injustice. And then there's also going to be some resources that we're going to give you on a reading plan throughout the summer. And we'll post that on social media and different places as well, but on our resources page, sfchurch.com slash resources. Will you join me in reading our benediction today? Romans chapter 11, verses 34 through 36. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.